So I, I want to begin with, with some, we're going to talk about cultivating, and I'm going, I want to begin with some spiritual connections. In, um, well, let's, let's have a prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that, that you have given us work to do and, and the work in the garden. We pray that you would bless as we, as we study and, and learn now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in, in Genesis 1.28, it says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And in Genesis, Genesis 2.5, it says, and there was no man to work, or the King James says, till the ground. Um, and that's speaking about before there was a man. Yeah. And in Genesis 2.15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Um, again, that word work is till in the King James. Um, so, you know, I said my mind kept going back to those first chapters of Genesis, and this is one of the, the things that I was wondering about. What, what does this mean? These, what do these verses mean in the context of a perfect world? Now, there, 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 was, there was something that God created. There was a work that God created man to do. But if we're in a perfect world, why do we need work? I mean, I, I, you know, it's just my mind doesn't go that way. <laughs> I don't know how, how you think. <coughs> but, <clears throat> you know, this is where God saw everything and he said it's very good. And yet, there was something man had to do. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I believe that God doesn't do anything aimlessly or purposeless, purposely, purposelessly. Um, he has a, he has a, a purpose in everything he does. So, if God gave man a work to do, there's a reason for that. What was it? Pardon? Yeah, I think I think yeah, I think those are all true things. They all have jobs. Yeah, I'm I'm sure of that. He yeah because you know just as God you know God created us in His image just as He is not purposeless just as He has. Everything he, he does has purpose and meaning. Just think, if God spoke frivolous, frivolously, what would happen? Well, it, yeah, it would be kind of scary, wouldn't it? I mean, when, when God speaks, things happen. And, and we don't just want frivolous, you know. <laughs> you know, every, whenever God speaks, he has purpose. So, and our words have you know, we don't, we don't have that same creative power that God does, but our words have creative power. You know, we, we, there are so many stories of, of, you know, some kid in school and the teacher calls him a dummy. That word has creative power on that kid, doesn't it? And, and so we have, to be, we, have, we have to be careful ourselves. You know, we are in God's image. If God is not frivolous, we also should not be frivolous. It doesn't mean we don't have fun. There's a, there's a difference there, but um, you know, we, need to, we need to be careful. So 
one thing that, um, you know, as, as I was thinking about this, one thing came to me, and that was that when, when God created the world, remember what it said in, in Genesis 1-1, or is it 2? The earth was without form and void. So it was, a, it was a kind of a chaos, right? You know, there's not, it's not organized. And um, God came down to this unorganized earth and he began to organize it and put things in order for the purpose of life, right? And again, in God's image, he intends us to do that work. So... I, I really, I have come to the belief that, you know, when we, when we look out in, in the, you call this bush here? The, we call it woods. <laughs> Scrub. Okay. <laughs> All right. So if, if you go out in the bush, um, on the, on the surface, there's a kind of chaos, right? It's not organized. Now, underlying, there is, a, there is an order. You know, God, in, in all nature, there, there is an order. But, there, but there, on the surface, it's, it's not organized. There's a randomness to it. And I believe that the work God gave us, I, I believe that was the case even in the Garden of Eden and that the work God gave man to do was to organize that. And, and our job in organizing that is, is to make it more fruitful. You know, the, the, the natural world is fruitful and it does bear fruit, but, but not on the level that can sustain us easily. I mean, there are tribes who live in the jungle but they, they need a wide territory to range through in order to, in order to sustain themselves off the, just the natural land. But for, for most of us, we have a small piece of land. You know, I think the Garden of I don't, I, I guess I, I really don't have any idea how big the Garden of Eden was, but it, it didn't fill the whole earth. You know, God created two people, Adam and Eve, and he put them over the whole earth, but he gave them a garden that they were to manage. You know, it was something that they were capable of managing. And um, I feel that this idea is supported from, from, with a quote in, in education that I, I, really, I really like this quote. It's from the, it's from the chapter on manual training. And, um, of course, this, is, this book, Education, is written to, to teachers or people who are educating, so let's keep that in mind. In our labor, we are to be workers together with God. He gives us the earth and its treasures, but we must adapt them to our use and comfort. He causes the trees to grow, but we prepare the timber and build the house. He has hidden in the earth the gold and silver, the iron and coal, but it is only through toil that we can obtain them. Show that, this is where she's speaking to teachers, this is something we're to communicate and share with others. Show that while God has created and constantly controls all things, he has endowed us with a power not wholly unlike his. Okay, again, this is going back to the idea we are created in his image. To us has been given a degree of control over the forces of nature. As God called forth the earth in its beauty out of chaos, so we can bring order and beauty 
out of confusion. And though all things are now marred with evil, yet in our complete yet in our completed work we feel a joy akin to his. When looking at the, the fair earth, he pronounced it very good. Is that right? <laughs> you know, when, when, when you manage a garden well, um, it is very satisfying to stand back and look at it, isn't it? In fact, I've noticed that it, there, is, there is something... And I, I, think, I think this is true for a, for a lot of people, but there's something in me that finds a landscape where people are managing the earth in a good way. We find that very attractive, right? I mean, I, I'm thinking of, like, um, the, you know, in, in America we have these people called Amish. Do you have them here? I was just I was just wondering why they haven't come here. Is there? Yeah, because they I mean they they are um, well you know they 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 value large families and so they are just growing by leaps and bounds in the U.S. I I heard that they're they're starting a new settlement in the U.S. every every two days. And they're just yeah because it. You know, because they're growing and, and most of the American population isn't, you know. And I, I think, you know, they, it's because they, they have this connection to nature and to God and they, and they recognize the value of being fruitful. Yeah, it's a, it's a positive outlook on life. And so, I know we've tried that store on Twitter again. I think it was we're trying to outreach. Yes. We actually have, um, we have... We have several from that background who who are our Sabbath keepers in in our area, and and we worship with them. In fact, one of them, he his his land, he was um, he was living on and farming land that belonged to his father, and um, you know he was they they practiced shunning. And so when a, that means the, the community won't have any relationship with you if you are out of line. And so this family, when they, when they started keeping Sabbath, the community shunned them. And so nobody could, that, it doesn't mean that you can't talk to them, but you can't do business with them. And living the lifestyle they live it is very important for them to be able to do business among themselves. You know, they're, they're a kind of a self-sufficient community. They, they need each other. Yeah. And so he lived there for a number of years in that condition. But um, at some point, I don't remember why, his father felt he needed to sell the land that he was on. And he couldn't go anywhere in the community because... You know, he, and he didn't have finances to, to buy his own place yet. And so um, it just happened that we had uh, a place at our farm that, that he could come to, and so he was there for a few years. So, um, so yeah, I was, I was talking about... So, I, you know, Americans are very attracted to going to Amish communities. Partly, I think, you know, just the simplicity of life, and, but, it, but also I, I really believe there's, there's this attraction to seeing the land being managed and people working you know, on it. In it. And, and I think the same for, for example, I've been to Switzerland, and, and so you have these rugged mountains, but to have little farms carved out on them, it's really amazing. And, and in Yemen, where we, where we lived for six years, um, you know, it's on the Arabian Peninsula. It's a mountainous country, very steep, up and down. And we were working in an area on the Red Sea. They have a plain on the Red Sea, and then the mountains come up behind it. And we were 
working in three districts from the, the Red Sea back to where the mountains began. And we had a mountain that was in the, the third area, the third district that we were working in. And the first time I went up there, I was just, my mind was boggled. For, for one thing, looking up at the mountain, all you could see is that it's, it's just rocks. You know, and we in the in the southwest of the United States, we have mountains like that, and and you just know nothing can live there. <laughs> you know, there might be a, a snake or two, or you know, <laughs> a few creatures, some little rodents or something, but nothing can live there. But um, they told me there were people there, and it was just hard for me to believe. So, anyways, on the, on the first trip up there. Um, well, one, one thing really amazing was that they had made their road by hand to get up there. And it was, it was, you know, straight down here and straight up here, just enough room for a single vehicle. And it was, it was like a, a three-hour drive. We, in, in four-wheel drive, low, low four-wheel drive, first and second gear, you know, it was just creeping along, boom, 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 uh, up the mountain. But we, we got about halfway up, and all of a sudden, here's this, these terraces with, with mango trees and date palms and, and, and sorghum growing in the terraces. It's just, there's life there. And it was just, wow, you know, how does that happen? And then when we went on, and here were more, it opened up, and there were more terraces and, and fields and and farms and villages and and all the way to the very very top of the mountain from from where we live we looked up at that mountain and there was kind of a, a square rock on, on the top I thought but that was a house and I went in it I slept there <laughs> on the very top and they had they had springs just a little bit you know below that house and, yeah, it was. I, I asked them, "How do you get springs on the top of a mountain like this?" Because this was a mountain that it was kind of by itself. It just came up out of the, and and they said, "God put them there." And what could I say? Yeah, I guess He must have. <laughs> yeah. So. At, Really? Yeah, uh, you know, how God created things is, is really amazing. But anyways, I, I, I feel that God put this appreciation for, you know, where, where man is managing the natural world um, for fruit. It, there, there's something very, very attractive about that. Um, Yeah. the ground like out uh -huh. there and if they're not there anymore 
Interesting. Yeah, so that's that's the relationships I was talking about again. Yeah, everything's connected like that. So both before and after the fall, the work that God gave us to do was the same, to organize and manage the garden and the natural world for good fruit, both literally and figuratively. Um, so this is dominion, and, and it involves subduing. And also, it's something that, that takes creativity and imagination. Now, you have a bare piece of land. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to organize it? What are you going to grow? You know, there's, there's some, you know, every, every person is going to, that's like a canvas. You know, you're, you're going to make your own picture there. And um, so... You know, if, if, if this labor wasn't what came to us in the fall, if that was something that God gave us to do from the beginning, then what was it that came to us in the fall? Um, well, just, you know, when, when God gave us dominion, he gave us dominion over the creatures and, and therefore over the, the plants. And so when, when Eve ate that fruit, you know, Adam and Eve didn't have, when we're talking about how we have dominion on this earth, remember it's within the realm of God's dominion. They were, because God created them, they were under his, his dominion, right? And so when Eve ate that fruit, she was rebelling against God's dominion. Is that right? And so what happened when, when she did that? God put the dominion that's under us in rebellion against us. Does that make sense? So, you know, we, he's, he's giving us a taste of our medicine. <laughs> you know? Yes. 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 So what, yeah, so what came with sin was, was the weeds, thorns, pain, sweat, right? Yeah. So the work was the same, but, but I mean, the, we had the same job to do, but the, but the work changed because these things were added to it. There was nothing taken away from what God gave us to do. This was added to it. So what sort of work would Adam have been doing? Well, I I think he was I think he was and Right. So yeah. they were sort of working in with training as much, but not how we have it. Yeah. So you know, to be honest, I I do not I have not been able to come with a complete picture on what they did, but but it was I I feel I can confidently say it was organizing things. And managing things for for more fruitfulness. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, the, I think there was decision making. You know, we we need this tree to be here, and and we don't need these things. You know, it's yeah, exactly. And you know, like I said, I I can't explain how all that worked, but I I think it had it encompasses those ideas somehow. Um, so, there, you know, like I said before, God has a purpose in everything he does. So when he added these things to our labor, there was a purpose for that too. And um, that purpose was to train us and to discipline us, right? 
Um, and so when I first understood this, I, I, you know, it gets quite hot where we live, um, like it does in a lot of places here, and it's generally quite humid too. And so we'd be working out there just like I stepped out of the shower, you know, <laughs> just drenched. And, and, and then it hit me that, you know, God, God said that you will sweat. And, and so that is God's will for me. And so if I'm here in this condition, that means I am in his will. And, <laughs> and, and that feels good, <laughs> you know. Um, so he's, that's his purpose for us. And in Hebrews 12, verse 11, it says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I believe that's God's will for us. And so as we work to subdue our garden, training and disciplining it, bringing it into submission to our dominion for the purpose of fruit, so at the same time, God is working to subdue our hearts. Remember we said there's a connection between the land and the heart. God is working to subdue our hearts, training and disciplining us, bringing us into submission to his dominion for the purpose of fruit, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That is God's will for us. So um, let's talk about weed control. I want to talk about cultivation <coughs> versus weeding. Do any of you know the difference? Actually, the, the word cultivation has, does have a broad meaning to mean just working the soil, but there is a narrower meaning um, that's applied to controlling weeds. And that's, that's the one that I'm working on here. Um, cultivation, well, weeding happens, exactly. Weeding happens when the weeds are big. And, um, you know, when weeds get big, it takes a lot of work to manage them, you know, to take them out. Is that one, you want to we, do the weeding before the seeding, right? Because those really skinny bags. <laughs> Once they flower and the seeds are there, there's, there's a lot more to come out. That is really true. That is really true. We have a saying. One year seeding means seven years weeding. <laughs> so that, that, is, that is a really true thing. You, whatever you do, you don't want your weeds to go to seed. You know, if, if you're desperate and you just can't get in there to take care of them, at a minimum, if you see they're starting to, to head, at a minimum, take a lawnmower or a weed eater and just <laughs> mow them down so that they have to start over again until you can get in there and actually take, take them out. You know, the, the thing is, they're persistent. Just mowing over them isn't going to stop them. I, I've noticed with dandelions, and, and I think all weeds do this, you know, the dandelions will initially send up a lawn stock with a flower on it, but if they're mowed constantly, they don't do that anymore. It's the same plant. It's not a different species. The same plant will have a little flower down below the level that you mow. They, they learn. I don't know how, but they learn. <laughs> they learn that they, we, can't, 
we can't reproduce up here, so we're gonna do it down here where, where we can get by. So, and I, I think almost every plant is gonna respond somehow like that, especially weeds. So, and, and while, while we're talking about this, there's a, there's a concept here that, that is really significant, and that is the concept of a weed seed bank. Um, this isn't necessarily the, the kind of bank that you want to bank on. <laughs> In fact, you want to get rid of it. But the, the idea is that um, as, as weeds seed, uh, those seeds work their way into the soil. And especially as the soil is worked, it can work the seeds down further. But also at the same time, it can bring seeds that are in the ground to the surface. And so that's why every time you work your ground and, and get it bare, um, you've, you've brought up a bunch of weed seeds that, that are going to want to germinate up near the surface. So that, that weed seed bank can be exhausted if you, if you never allow any weeds to go to seed. And... Um, but it's going to take you five, six, seven years, something like that. And you know, you can you can't control weed seeds completely. They they'll float in, they'll come in on an animal or on your shoes, or you know, they they'll get in there. But you can you can reduce it significantly. But it's going to take time, and and you have to be on it every year, not allowing them to go to seed. You know, we even we even keep the the perimeters of our garden mode because you know we don't want the weeds that are close you know the ones that are close by they can get their seeds in so <laughs> yeah yeah so um yeah and and there's another there's another lesson here that um the ground does not like to be naked Okay, it, it is always going to try to cover itself if it can. I mean, the only places where it's naked is where it doesn't rain. You know, it, otherwise, it's going to try to cover itself. And so it's going to do all it can to do that. And so that's another reason for, for working with things like cover crops and mulches, because the earth likes to be covered. It, leaving, leaving the, you know, the traditionally there's been the practice of uh, plowing fields in the fall and leaving them fallow over the winter, but nature doesn't like that, and it's not really the best thing. You'd be much better off, in in, in a lot of ways, if rather than leaving it fallow, you sowed it to a cover crop, and and then you'll be ahead in the spring by a long ways. Germinated 
you know, they, they, they first send out a root, and then, they, and then they send up a little shoot with a leaf. And if you, if, you, if you get those seeds somewhere between when they send down the root and when they send up that, that shoot with the first two leaves, if you can get them sometime in that time period, your work is going to be so much easier. And this is what we call cultivation. Okay? Um, you, can, you can do a whole garden bed. You can cultivate a whole garden bed with, with a lot less energy expended and sweat than, than just you know, two or three well-established weeds. Yeah, it, it's, it's a big difference. And, you know, again, a, a spiritual application. Um, in the Bible, seeds are, are equated with thoughts and ideas. You know, there was the, there was the sower who was sowing good seed, right? And so, but, but not all seed is good. In, in the next parable, there was the landowner who had um, his, his servants came to him and said, who sowed tares in the field? And he said it was an enemy. So, you know, there's, there's a good sower sowing good seed, and there's an enemy sowing bad seed in the, in the soil of our hearts. And... Um, it's, it's so much easier to take care of seeds, those, those weed seeds in our hearts at this stage rather than this stage. You know, when they get this stage, like you said, they might, they might have gone to seed or, or you know, the, a lot of weeds, if there's a little bit of root left in the ground, it grows into another weed. We've got a number of weeds like that. Just a, a, a little tiny piece of root grows into a whole new plant. And so, you know, that's, that's another spiritual application there. Um, so we call, we call dealing with, with seeds at this stage, we call that the white thread stage. It's because of the, that root going down. It's just like a little white thread. And, um, okay, so... The, when, when you're cultivating, you're wanting to, 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 to do it very shallow. Okay? Why, why would that be? It's not to disturb the soil so much that the soil could go up. Yeah. Deep roots We wanted to cut these ones off, you know, cut them at the roots or, or at least expose them, on, bring them to the surface. But we don't want to bring up, you know, we've got that weed seed bank again. If, if, you, if you dig deeply when you're cultivating, you're just bringing more seeds to the surface. You're, you're making more work for yourself. So if you can just, you know, we're talking about the, the top half inch of soil. You're, you're not wanting to go deeper than that at this stage. And, you know, you, you really can do it even before the, the leaves show. So what do you do when yeah. or you've got the established weeds to, to get to the cultivation part? Because we've got a yard full of thick, hard-going weeds. What do you do? You, you have to take them out, and it, it is hard work. And you have to, um, I, if you remember the, one of the videos we showed yesterday, it showed with a shovel just, you know, Scraping them right below the surface. What about digging them up? Grasses like teach. There's like two years. Grasses that are, we've got in our place. Some of their roots are. They're deep, deep yeah. And, um, and, they're, and they're, they, they have runners under the ground. and Yeah, we have grasses like that too. And one, one was we called Johnson grass. It was, it was imported for, for fodder. And... 
I think there's a lot of people that le would like to get their hands on Mr. Johnson. <laughs> Anyways, um, there, those are those are more difficult, definitely. What, one thing that I like to do with them, and we also have some ones that just have a long tap root, and, and if just a little bit of that tap root gets left in the ground, they'll they'll regrow. So. Um, the, the best tool I've found for, for getting those out is a spading fork. Because you can put it in the, in the you know, the, our tap-rooted ones like that, and even the, the ones with the runners, if you, if you try to pull them out or chop them off, it, you didn't do anything. Yeah, it looks good for, for maybe a, a week. <laughs> you feel good about that for a week. And then, so... But if you use a spading fork and just put it in next to it and, and loosen the earth, then you can pull it out. And with, with those ones that have runners going under, I, I'll, I'll loosen the soil and, and try to gently pull it out so that I'm not disattaching the runner. And then if I can, I'll follow the runner and loosen the soil along where the runner is going try to get up as much of it as I can. It doesn't always work. I, you know, some always break off, but that's what I try to do. So you're mulching um, soft, yeah, mulched, um, like the eaves, it's called? Yes. So that can work. You, um, what I have found for these deeply rooted grasses that, that have runners is that, um, well, we're going to come to that. Let, let's, let's just wait because I, I have I more to share. Yeah. Do you just, how do you get that needle run out? Do you just get a little shovel and just... Well, I'm going to... We have, some, we have some tools that work really good for that. And they're not available here, except that Rod has imported uh, a bunch of tools. And I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm gonna, I'm, are, they, are they demonstrating them right now over there? Because I want to. I'll bring some over here. I just saw Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. So there's there's one called a collinear hoe. It's a it has a long handle um, and a just a little piece of metal on the bottom here and a a, a, a thin blade. Okay. You saw that. This is the nicest tool for dealing with, with this. That is the best thing. It's, it's lightweight, and, and you, you hold it with your thumbs up like this, so it's not back-breaking. You know, you don't bend over. You don't need to bend over. And, and you, can, you can cultivate, you know, beds and beds without hardly breaking a sweat. It's just, it's really nice. And no, you can you can do it. Push it and pull it both and just work around. So, you know, we'll we'll have our bed and and it's really nice with transplants. You know, you, you have your transplants and you can just work around them. You know, because because this blade, you know, it's attached here in the center, you can have plants here with leaves coming out and you and you can work right under the leaves and quite easily. And, and get, yeah, yeah, so, and, and you can, this is, with this tool, you can do the shallowest cultivation. The, the one thing that you have to be aware of is that this tool is not strong. And so it is, you know, usually when you have plants at this stage, that means you have a freshly worked bed, and so the soil is loose. You have to have loose soil for this for this to work. If, you're, if your soil is hard, um, you're gonna break the blade trying to, you know, if you, do, if you try to do any chopping on weeds, 
with this, you're going to break it. <laughs> it. It's not made for that purpose, and it won't work. Um, and it's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm speaking from experience here. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's not a cheap tool. And you, you don't want to break it, you know, or you'll break your bank. So I, mean, I think it's something like 30-some U.S. dollars. Okay. Great. Okay. So that that one is good for that. There is another tool. So this is called the collinear. There's another tool called a stirrup hoe. That has a a long handle again, and and then it um, it has a shape kind of like this, and and this point here is is loose, so it oscillates on on the at the base of the handle. And this, this is the blade here, okay? And so, again, with th this blade is, is sharp on both sides. It's a two-edged sword, okay? And, and so, with this one, you have to use your, hold it this way with your thumbs down, but, but you, can, you can work it back and forth. And, this, to me, is, is the ideal tool when, when your weeds get a little bit bigger. You know, they're, when they're about that size. Um, you can't even use it on, on weeds this size unless they're the kind that you have to dig the roots out. Um, but um, it's, a, it's a much sturdier tool. And I would... If, if you could only afford one tool, I would probably recommend this one because it's going to be more versatile for you. At least, I mean, just the reality is, even though our ideal is to get weeds at this stage, life happens, and <laughs> that doesn't always happen. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're going to be probably better off to, to get this one if you, if you, you can only get one. But another disadvantage of, of this tool is that it's not going to, it doesn't get under plants quite as easily as this one does. But, um, but it's a good sturdy tool and it, it's not going to break easily. And, and these blades are replaceable, you know, when they wear out. You know, they, it takes, on our farm, over, five, six, I don't know, yeah, something like that, years of, you know, regular use, um, some of those blades have worn out. So, I mean, they don't, they don't wear out quickly. They're, you can sharpen them. And you can sharpen them, yes. You can sharpen them. So, those are, those are our, our two favorite um, cultivators. Now, there's, a, there's another tool called a wheel hoe. Yeah, and when when we when I showed you the video of the of the bed preparation, the bed making, the um, I think it was my daughter was using using the wheel hoe to, to clear the weeds, and that is a that is a really nice tool because you can you can cover a lot of ground quickly with that one. So, those are some of our favorite um, cultivation tools. Um, so some, some things to think about when you, when you are, are looking to buy a tool. Uh, 
Look, look, for, look for tools that are, are sturdy, but lightweight. Okay? Um, you don't really want to have something much more than two pounds. When I was in college, Yeah, so it would probably be, yeah, just under a kilo, yeah. So when I was in college, I, I decided I wanted, you know, I wanted to work overseas, but I also wanted to get some farm experience. I, I knew a lot of the people I'd be working overseas would be farmers. So I, at that, I was in Southern California, and at that time, La Sierra College had a farm. And so I decided to, to work on the farm for a summer and, and get some experience, and as well as take some classes. So they, I told the, the director of the course what I was wanting to do, that I was wanting to you know, prepare for going overseas. So he, he paired me up with, a, with an older um, Cuban gentleman. And this man must have been in his late 50s or 60s. I'm, I'm a young college-aged kid, you know. So he, I don't, I don't remember, the first or second day, he, he took me out to, to weed. He had a bunch of um, melons, um, like cantaloupe melons and, and things like that. And so we started cultivating around these melons. The tool that he gave me was was a you know a traditional hoe like that you know the the big kind of a square blade and it had a metal handle it was a pipe and I'll tell you by the by the time lunchtime came around you know, this guy was working, and, you know, like I said, he's an older gentleman, I'm a, I'm a young kid, and I could not keep up with him. I could not keep up with him, but I was trying. And by the time lunchtime came around, I, I went inside and, and just sat down at a desk and just looked at my lunch. I was too exhausted to even eat. <laughs> I was just wiped out. <laughs> and anyways... You don't want to replicate that if you can. <laughs> Pardon? He did have a lighter one. He had a wooden handle, but he had a, you know, it was a big, you know, blade on the end still. <laughs> yeah, I was a student. You know, I hadn't been working like that either. And he, you know, he was accustomed to that. Yeah. So um, another thing is is to keep your blade sharp. You know, you mentioned that you, you can sharpen them. That that takes a lot of the effort out of out of work. And and then put your tools away clean. You know, if they start rusting, that they don't go through the soil as as clean and easy as when they're not. And so clean them. And and then also. The handles, um, if you if you leave them out in the weather, they they'll they'll dry out, they'll get brittle, um, you know. So, the, we like to oil our handles with linseed oil once a year at least, and and then try to keep them inside under cover for storage. So, is it break time now? I'm getting the feeling that it is. Yes. So I'm just wondering, with the cleaning of the tools, would you use water or just sort of brush the dirt off? We, we generally use water. Yeah. And that doesn't accelerate the rusting? Well, it, if, they, if, if you, the ideal thing is to, is to have a place where you can hang them up. And if you can hang them up, they'll, they'll generally dry fast enough to, to not, for that not to be a worry. Okay, so um, after the break, I'm going to talk about 
different um, measures of weed control. There's a, there's a bunch of there's a number of different strategies for controlling weeds. We'll talk about that next. So let's let's take a. I think. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not new to that concept, but I am new to the 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 mix of seeds. I haven't heard of using chia like that. Yes. This is this is the stirrup hoe, and and you can you can get three different sizes of stirrups. So this is this is the narrowest one, and so you know of course it's handy when you have vegetables planted in, in rows fairly close together. But um, then you there, you can get another. I think this is three inches, and I there's a there's a I think a, a five inch and a seven inch, um, so you can you can get different sizes, and you know I, I would go with the the medium sized one if you can only afford one, but. Um, oh yeah. You, you just do it like this. Yeah. So and it. Because it oscillates like that, it, it gets the weeds coming and going both ways. So you, you save half the labor of a, a hoe where you can only get them going one way. Yeah, that's, that's very nice. And, and also, you know, with that kind of hoe, you have to lift it up every time you're doing a chopping motion. This one, you're just a, it's just a back and forth motion. Yeah. So that's a, that's a labor saver. And then this is the collinear hoe. And as you see, there, there, there are two different sizes for that, too. And um, so again, this, this one is, is good for closer spacing. And, and this one, we, we use this way. You, you hold it, like I said, with your thumbs up. And, and then you're just going like this. So it's, it's very easy to use. One thing I, I, I should say is that this one here has a, both, all of these have replaceable blades. So that, that is an advantage, you know, so you, you don't have to worry quite so much about breaking them. And not only is the blade replaceable, but this thing here on top that it's screwed into, um, usually, with the ones that, that don't have replaceable blades, where they'll break is right here. And so this will, will help to prevent it from breaking. But the, the disadvantage is that the, the head on the, on the screw in the ground, it, it collects, you know, especially if you've got a, a kind of a, a clay, wet soil, it'll collect dirt on it. And, and so it doesn't, it doesn't slide through the, the soil as easily and cleanly as the other one. So there, there are pluses and minuses on that. <laughs> yeah. Pardon? Yeah, if if you can if you can weld and you can you could do that on the on the other one. Yeah. So what's the difference so, between using the and Where would you use them? Yeah I I was sh sharing with them already. The, the collinear I would use with weeds at this stage that somewhere between when the when the first root has come out and when the first leaves have come to the surface. Now I wanted to say I you I wanted to emphasize that you can do this before you even see any weeds. You can you can take them out. And um, you know if you if you have a 
a clean bed that you've just worked. And if you, if you either water it yourself or it rains on it, within, you can know that within 10 days to two weeks, you're going to have these weeds coming up. And so, you know, at about 10 days, 11 or 12 days after you, you prepared that soil, even if you don't see weeds, you can go in with a, with a collinear hoe and just work that, that top half inch of the soil and, and you'll take these guys out. And I, I've done that before and you know, was only able to get part of the area done and then I had to go and, and I came back a week later and where, where I hadn't done it, the weeds were like this and where I had done it, there was maybe a scattered weed here or there that I, you know, hadn't caught, but it was essentially clear. So, you can get weeds before you see them. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.